0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC Podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and miniseries. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. As we turn to the passages today, we start at the beginning of the story of the Gentiles. This is Genesis 12, as God is calling Abraham, um, or Abram at this point, this is what he promises him. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And now turning over to Matthew chapter 2, the familiar story about the wise men coming to meet the baby Jesus. This is Matthew 2, starting with verse 1. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you imagine that scene? Mary and Joseph and the baby are, are together. They, they've moved probably from the, the stable to a house at this point. The word that, that the Greek uses for Jesus is child, like young boy, not, not infant. But they are still trying to eke out a living in this strange town of Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden, Joseph walks in the door and says, Mary, you're not going to believe this. But guess who just showed up? (laughs) Can you imagine looking out? You're the the mom of a young toddler. You look outside and you see an entire caravan of camels and very, very important people stopping at your doorstep to say hi. (laughs) This must have been an incredible moment. As we we think about Mary and that that song, Mary, Did You Know? That's a controversial song because a lot of people want to go, Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. (laughs) But Mary knew some parts of it. But I think even as it says in Luke that she pondered these things in her heart, that God was slowly revealing to her all that this entailed, everything that this meant. We can see as she prayed in her, the Magnificat, the prayer that she prays or the the song that she sings really after the angel Gabriel had told her the news and she had said, may it be done to me as you have said. Then she bursts into this beautiful song, and she, she sees in the coming of the Messiah the true redemption of her people. She sees not just spiritual redemption, but she sees wrong made right. See, She, she sees justice done. The rich brought low, the poor lifted up, the, the proud taken down, and the humble made precious to the Lord. And then she also says at the end, he, she says, he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So Mary knows there has been a story all along, a plan that God has had since Abraham to redeem the people of Israel. But I think she was just getting a glimpse that it wasn't just the people of Israel, that it was the entire earth that God was ready to redeem. Abraham got a glimpse of this as he heard God's words in Genesis 12. He's saying, I will bless you. I'll make a nation out of you. I will bless you to be a blessing. And then that last line, all peoples, all families, all tribes on earth will be blessed through you. God had not just the Jews but the Gentiles in mind from that very moment. He, God had this plan to, to turn a tribe, a people of Abraham. They, he called them to be the insiders of the plan. He God carefully selected one group of people, but not for themselves, not that they would be blessed and everybody else would be cursed. He blessed them. He chose the insider to becoming, become a blessing for the outsider. He... Um, one author I read said, we are elect, we are chosen by God to be God's emergency response team for the world. I love that idea. God often chooses individuals to bless others around us. And as he, he chose and selected Abraham, he wanted Abraham to be a blessing not only to his own family and tribe that would become a nation, but also to all of the peoples on earth. We can trace this thread throughout all of the Old Testament. Some people want to unhook the Old Testament from the New Testament, but we understand so much more the the riches of the New Testament if we pay attention to God's plan all the way along. And we see with the coming of the wise men a fulfillment of prophecy that God is going to bless all peoples of the earth through Abraham and his offspring. We think about the way that, that God has, has moved through Abraham and then all of these other places throughout the Old Testament. This past week, I got to—many of you know I'm working on a doctorate, so I was actually in class all this last week, and it was one of the best classes I've taken. It was amazing, and it, it was all about understanding Old Testament narrative. Um, you know, how do you dig into those weird stories in the Bible? What are some clues to help you understand? And one of the things that we saw was the way that God was weaving this thread of the Gentiles all the way along. We spent some time in that chapter when, you know, the people of Israel have, have come up out of Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. The first group of spies that that went into the Promised Land um, came back and said, there's giants here, and they kept on wandering but they finally, the, the old generation had passed away. Joshua was now leading the people of Israel, and he sent spies in again. He sent spies to Jericho and said, tell us, what, you know, what's the situation? A lot of people look at the, first, the second chapter of Joshua and say, well, you know, what good was that? There was no military information gained by these spies. I mean, for the first, first point, he, they walk in, and the first person that they meet, the person that they decide to stay with, is a prostitute. What were they thinking? <laughs> Apparently, brothels and inns were often the same thing. Uh, so they meet this woman whose name is Rahab. Here's one for you that I had no idea. that Rahab's name means broad and expansive. It's like her, the very first person the spies meet She she is is like an embodiment of the expanse of God's goodness and the land that God is about to give them. And if you pay attention, one one clue to reading Hebrew narrative is pay attention to who's speaking the most. And Rahab speaks the most in this place. And she she is the first one in the whole chapter to use the name of God. She uses the name of God four times. And one of the things that she says, uh, she says, of uh, the Lord your God is God in heaven and above and earth below and now then please swear to me by the, the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have show, shown kindness to you so she's hidden the spies she's lied to the king's people and, and she's she's allowed them to be able to go back intact to to Joshua but what she does most importantly is declare the name of the Lord she, she calls on, she says, I know that, that God is God, that your God is the one true God. Here she is, a pagan who's worshiped how many other gods, and yet she now sees the truth of, of the Lord. And then when she says, you, I will show kindness to you, you show kindness to me, the word she's using, do you remember my favorite Hebrew word? Some of you may. Hesed is is God's loving kindness, but it's also a covenant love. And she says the words of of covenant are in her lips. I have covenanted with you in kindness, and now you covenant with me in kindness. So here is a Gentile, the very first person they meet when they walk into the promised land. And what God is saying is he is going to bless Gentiles even through the Israelites, even in the midst of coming into the promised land. Another one that is really striking is the first chapter of Jonah. Most of us think of the first chapter of Jonah as the, really wrapped up in one verse, the very last verse. He gets thrown into the sea and swallowed by a whale. That's sort of the point of, of that passage. But when you look who speaks the most, it's the sailors. So God has told Jonah, the prophet, to go up. And what does Jonah do? He goes, he, he's supposed to go up to Nineveh. Instead, he goes down to Joppa and down to the port. And down to a boat and down uh, and down it to the inside of the boat, and then he lays down to sleep. Do you think Jonah is doing what is right in the Lord's eyes? <laughs> he is running as far away as he can. He's running uh, he he's takes a boat to Spain and he thinks he's going to be safe, but God is in the midst of this. God has called Jonah to preach. Uh, repentance to Gentiles. He's supposed to go to Nineveh and, and preach against them in the hopes that they would repent. And Nineveh, uh, Jonah, Jonah wants none of this. But what happens in that first chapter? He is on this ship that's a bunch of Gentiles. He's, they, they are worshiping their, their gods, crying out to everybody. God has hurled this storm at, at them. And they're, they're, they're grasping at straws, and then they finally like, you know, wake up, pray to your God. It's, it's funny, the, the captain of the ship, so God has said, arise and call out. The first words out of the captain's mouth are, arise and call out. <laughs> God is using this Gentile to speak to Jonah in, in God's own words. And, and, and as these Gentiles ask him what is going on, he tells them about God. And by the end they worship God themselves. There's this amazing line, at, the, at this, as God calms the storm, once they, God has hurled the storm, it, and then they have to hurl Jonah overboard. But they said, as the, the sea calmed, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So even though Jonah is running as far away from, from From God as he can, yet God is still using him in a really weird way to reach out to the Gentiles. And there's this transformation, this repentance and allegiance that these pagan soldiers suddenly have to Yahweh, the one true God. So we see in all kinds of passages like this, we see that God is at work, that God is wanting to bless not only his people, but bless the nations through his people. There there are many, many other places in this. And then we come to um, Isaiah 60. Isaiah is, is rich with promises to the blessing of the nations. But it says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Here is a promise that there will be kings that come to Jesus, come to the Messiah. Simeon, when he, so when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple to dedicate him as as they were supposed to. And they encountered two people who had been waiting all of their lives to see the Messiah. It was the old priest Simeon and it was the prophetess Anna who was 84 years old and still waiting for the Messiah. And Simeon praises the Lord because he has seen God's salvation And then he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people, Israel. So Simeon also sees that, that the Messiah is not just to come and to save the Jewish people. God has come, he has sent his only begotten Son to save the whole world. God has a much, much bigger view than we can even imagine. So as Luke names this in in the story of Simeon, then Matthew wants to to emphasize this very same thing. Matthew is very concerned about Jesus being king. And he wants wants everybody who's reading this book to understand how these prophecies are pointing to Jesus as king. And again, not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the whole kingdom of God. And so enter the wise men. Now imagine that scene in, the, in, in Jerusalem as they, this huge caravan from the east comes in. It, it, we always talk about three wise men, but we have no idea how many there really were. There were three gifts, and so that's often why we think of that. But it probably was a pretty big caravan. And so this caravan comes into Jerusalem, and all of Jerusalem is a buzz because they say that they are looking for the, the newborn king of the Jews. Now Herod is on the throne. Herod has no right to be on the throne. he's not even Jewish. Herod is from, from Edom, if you remember the Edomites in the Old Testament they're sometimes friends and sometimes enemies of, of the Israelites, they are the ones that are descendants of Esau. If you remember Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, God chooses Jacob over Esau, and he forms his own nation. So the, the Edom and Jerusalem, they're, they're sort of cousins, but, but they are, are not truly, the Edomites have never truly worshipped Yahweh in the appropriate way. And so here's this illegitimate king sitting on the throne who was evil. This man was evil. He, he had his wife strangled because he heard that she was unfaithful. And then after he found out that that was a lie, he erected a tower in her honor. He k- killed two of his sons who were framed by another son, so he kills two, and then on his deathbed realizes that the third son framed him, so he had him killed also before he died. He was a brutal king. Even though he was allegedly the king of the Jews at this point, he was as bad if not worse than the Romans who were in charge of everything. He was doing everything he could to saddle up to the Romans and rule the the kingdom so that he could stay in power. And he wanted to grab power any way that he could. He would wipe out any of his enemies. And so here you have this caravan of very wealthy, important people show up on his doorstep and what does it say? It says that king, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. I think that's a big understatement. He was probably furious. He was probably terrified that there was something going on that he could not control. So he p- pulls in the priests and the, um, and the scribes and says, okay, you know, where is this, this king supposed to be born? And they tell him in, in Bethlehem. It's a really funny word that popped out at me this time that I'd never really thought about. In verse 7, Herod called the Magi secretly. He calls them secretly and found out from them the time that the star has, had appeared, and then he sends them to Bethlehem. He doesn't want anybody else to know that he's giving these people permission to go and find out where the king is. He, he wants to secretly know so that he can secretly kill the king. He has this motive in mind from the very, very beginning. And it's interesting, did you notice that the people in Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees who know where the Messiah is supposed to be born, they don't go with the wise men. They're they're like, yeah, give us a report. (laughs) Let us know. They don't go, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah, and stream into Bethlehem. They, they think it can't possibly be true. And so they leave it to these Gentiles to go search for the Messiah. These Gentiles, these outsiders, you have these insiders who are more concerned about their own power and prestige and, and success than they are about pursuing the living God. For 400 years, the, the, the people of Israel have been longing for the Messiah and haven't heard from God. And now, in walk these wise men and say, we have seen a sign that the Messiah has come and nobody does anything. Isn't that an incredibly tragic moment? The insiders, the ones who should have been watching all along, the ones who should have been longing and waiting for the Messiah and anxious to see him, they don't do anything. But God uses these Gentiles, these pagan astrologers, God chooses them to seek out Yahweh, the one true Son incarnate, the Word become flesh in this child living in Bethlehem. So so as these, these men come to the house where Jesus was living, they come and they bow down. That in and of itself is something so amazing. These people were, uh, Magi, we, we know in the book of Daniel, there's the, a reference to Magi, and they were the court, the court advisors. They were the ones who would give prophecies that would influence the decisions of the king. They were very, very powerful people, and they come into this humble house where Jesus is living, this, this child of, who would, of a woman who got pregnant out of wedlock, this person who was, she was a refugee from her hometown, but yet they, these powerful people, came in and bowed down and worshipped him. They worshipped this child. Was there anything of, of earthly outward sign that would make you think this is the king of, Jesus, uh, of the Jews? There was nothing, but they knew. God had revealed to them that this was the king and he was the one to be worshiped. So they laid down their treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh and set it down. These outsiders became insiders of the secret of God and they were overjoyed with what they saw and what they found. And God in his mercy warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod. They were sensitive enough to know that this was not going to end well and so they went home a different way i heard somebody <laughs> speak one time and it said they turned that that line on its head they went home a different route and they also went home different they went home a different way they they went home knowing that yahweh was the one true god that this child was the, the son of God born to save his people and born to save the whole earth. They went home different. As we think about this passage, we think about us. We, we are Gentiles. We would not be here if God had not had compassion on on people other than the Jewish people. Almost everybody. Bruce Tinnenbaum gets an exception. <laughs> but we, we are the outsiders who have been brought in We are the ones who were welcomed because God saw not just one people that he wanted to choose, but he saw the whole earth of people who needed salvation, who needed to be saved, who were lost and needed to be found. But it's interesting how we as American Christians have often become insiders. We have become the ones who get it, and we're not all that interested sometimes about sharing that with the rest of the world. We have moments where God reveals himself, and then we become skeptical and like, mm, don't really want to get out of my thing, out of my, my, my routine to pursue God. God is breaking in. There are people that are hungry for the Lord that are outside the faith right now. But God is breaking people's hearts. He is awakening outsiders to pursue him in ways that we can't even see. God wants to break through and remind the insiders as well as the outsiders that he is the God made flesh. He is the one who has come to seek and to save the lost. God isn't one who grabs on to his power. He is the one who laid down his power so that we could be saved. I read an an interesting line in an article this week uh, that was contrasting Jesus and Herod. And it said, where Herod's story is about a rise to power, Jesus is about a descent from power. There in the manger was the one who did not regard regard equality with God as something to be exploited and emptied himself for us, that reference to Philippians 2, where Herod lied and murdered to keep people away. Jesus in his infancy and early life was already drawing people near. Jesus Christ is calling out to all of you. He humbled himself all the way into human form, all the way unto death, all the way unto death, even on a cross. He is the one who laid everything down for you, to welcome you, the outsiders, to become insiders, not for your sake, but blessing you to be a blessing to all the nations. Brothers and sisters, let's turn our focus away from ourselves from, from what we can gain, from what we can hold on to, so that we can let go as Jesus let go, so that we can tell the good news of Jesus Christ to people in this building and far, far outside of it. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is the light for the world. He is the one who has come and has saved and will redeem us all because God has poured out his love on us through Jesus Christ, his chesed, loving kindness, the covenant love that will never let us go. That is the love that he pours out on us through the communion table, through his Holy Spirit, and through the redemption, the second coming of the Lord that we all long for as we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.